three, two, one, roll the footage. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today, my guest is the founder and CEO of Mission Facilitators International, a boutique training and development firm based out of Phoenix, Arizona, with the sole purpose of helping organizations become more connected to their purpose and their people. Welcome, everybody, Dean Newland. <laughs> I love the background. That's very good, Simon. We are well all done, excited to have you here. The plants, <laughs> the pens, my desk. We are all so excited. And Dean, what are you currently creating? You know, Simon, that's a good question. There's a lot of things that we're about right now. We've been around for 30 years and we have heard a lot of stories and have uh, worked with many different types of companies, locally, nationally, internationally. And after all of this time that we've been dealing with so many different types of industries and different levels within organizations, what I began to realize is that most organizations try to solve problems in silos versus thinking of them in an interconnected way. So, for example, if we're going to um, want to do some planning, we just bring in the executives. Uh, we have a new person onboarding. We, we focus on training and development. Uh, we have an issue with this team over here. So we just try to do some sort of intervention to help them get back on track. And all those things in these um, these uh, initiatives are all fine and good, but they don't all connect and we don't have alignment. I mean, how many times have you heard an employee go, I, I, I love what I do, but I don't know how it fits to the mission. I don't know how it fits to something greater than myself. And if you think about the work of uh, Daniel Pink, he's got a great book called Drive that people really want to know that they are connected to and supporting a larger a larger purpose, a larger mission. So the thing that I'm continually working on um, right now is around this thing that I'm calling an organizational value alignment model. It's way too long and hard to say, but it's essentially a model by which you create that alignment between the individual, the team, and the people we serve by working backwards, not working from up. So who are our key customer categories? what are their desires, their needs, their mindsets, their worries, and what ultimately is the promise that this team is trying to provide for that particular customer category. And then based on that, what kind of a team do we need to be in order to fulfill on those promises? And once we figure that out, what kind of individual leaders do we need to be in order to be worthy members of that team? And that becomes sort of the spine for all things relative to strategic planning, onboarding, training and development, uh, conflict resolution, uh, process improvement. Once you create the clarity around those bedrock foundational questions, then everything else that we do in an organization becomes a lot easier because we've already answered those foundational questions. So that's something that I've been working a lot with with organizations higher ed, some healthcare organizations, and we're getting a lot of good traction out of it. And so that's the thing that I've been uh, really noodling on lately. How do they use it in the day-to-day? -day? When is the moment to pull it out and review it? Well, it's sort of like the pre-work to the work. So if you're gonna go do a strategic planning session, having this organizational alignment work already done gets about a third or a half of the strategic planning 
thinking has already been done. Or if you're trying to create, say, norms for a team. Well, the team norms are only as beneficial as the context in which we are under, meaning that our purpose as a team isn't just to be together. It's to serve the customers that we are trying to serve. So what it does is that we pull it out when we start getting into those more uh, recognizable things like creating team norms, doing strategic planning, onboarding an individual, onboarding a team, uh, leadership development for an individual. All those things, we pull out this organizational value alignment uh, diagram once we get it all filled out and use that as our direction into these other functions. So it creates a lot less redundant work and, and we find that people are getting things finished a lot faster because again, we've already created that bedrock set of, of uh, understandings. What are the main questions that you get from your current clients? What is on their mind and hearts right now? Boy, uh, right now, as we are still kind of on the back end of a pandemic um, headache, the big issue right now is still around talent. How do we get and retain top talent? And I think in some ways, unfortunately, the pandemic was a big uh, stress test on organizations and cultures and, and, and on teams. And I think, you know, if we're really honest, we kind of failed. I think we found out a lot of problems in organizations that were hidden under the veil of our success prior to the pandemic. You may remember we were doing very well back in 2019 overall. Not everybody was, but overall organizations were pandemic hit, then all of a sudden uh, we had the lockdown and then we had, you know, still what's called the great resignation where people could start moving to other organizations. Remote work is now much more uh, familiar for people and, uh, and employees have choices. And I think that what we, um, what organizations are asking is how do we now <laughs> keep and retain these people um, and yes, maybe we've made some errors in the past. So when it still comes down to people join organizations, but they leave managers, that's an old saying that we've heard for years. And so what does that supervisor, what does that leader of a team need to do in order to create their own culture whereby which people want to stay? And I think it comes down to some basic stuff. People feel like they're cared for. Uh, people feel like their, their leader in which they report to actually has a personal interest in them. They have the resources, they have the tools, they have a say and a voice into, into the, how their work gets done. Some basic stuff that we would say, oh yeah, I've heard that before, but I don't think that we have ever really done it very, very well. So I also think that organizations are asking the question because they realize we now have to train and develop and onboard people much more so than we ever had before. Um, the the, the, back in, say, 2018, 2019, we would have a certain standard of a particular type of person who had skills and a mindset. Now we have to train that and teach that. So uh, that's good news for an organization like us, because obviously we can we can partner with companies to help provide that. But uh, much more so, I, I think the organizations are saying, how do we keep people and how do we train them? so that they don't uh, leave and that they're most productive. So that's that's one of the things that I'm hearing. You run an amazing podcast. It's called The Business of Intuition with Dean Newland. How did starting a podcast change you? Uh, it made me 
changed me personally, I guess the podcast came out of a, a TED talk I did a while back on intuition and business with the idea that we got to get this superhuman uh, strength of intuition out of the closet and into the boardroom because we only use five or 10% of our conscious mind. And can we tap into that other 80, 90% intuition is really the vehicle to be able to do that. I think what's changed for me, Simon, is I've just have been very, very humbled by the guests I've had, like yourself. I mean, I have gotten probably the equivalent of two more MBAs just by the last 160 conversations I've had over the last two or three years. And I am, on one hand, I am um, somewhat aware that there is still such a hunger for things that I didn't realize people were hungry for. Some of the basics, you know, and maybe it's because I've been at this for 30 years, you know, you, you continue to evolve and change. But I realize some of those basics are still really important. And then on the other hand, I've been just blown away by some conversations uh, that have changed my perception about uh, myself, uh, the way, you know, human beings work and interact with each other, the way organizations do. So, you know, it, I guess a, a long answer to a short question, how it's changed me is that it's changed my knowledge and it's changed my um, ability to continually stretch my own thinking. I want to learn so much more about intuition and how can we can tap into it, especially people like me who are more of systems and spreadsheet people, how we can tap into this amazing potential uh, after mm. one word from our sponsors. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprint's method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprint's 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategiesprints.com. The older I get, the more I realize intuition is tapping into the full potential. At the same time, I am, many of us are, when we manage, when we're responsible for people, you know, we try to stay safe, to stay in systems, to minimize the downside risk, etc. How can we navigate this? So is a question, how can we balance intuition with this more systems based way of doing business? Or how do we tap into our intuition? How do we tap into it? And how do we face the fear? Uh, that's a, uh, so I think intuition, if we kind of would, first of all, kind of define it in some ways, um, th there are different parts of the brain, the left side and right side, as we all knew, and we grew up going to school. Uh, intuition is a pattern recognizer. Um, it is being able to tap into the left and the right side of the brain. It is pulling from your experience and, and tapping into that unconscious or that subconscious part of you. The problem, however, with intuition is that it doesn't have a voice, uh, excuse me, it doesn't have a language, meaning like the part of the brain that thinks analytically is also part of the brain that uses language. 
the part of the brain that uses intuition doesn't use language. It comes through to us in different modalities. And so some people might say it feels like it's a gut feeling. Like, so you literally feel it physically in your stomach, or it could be on the back of your neck or your, your arm hair start to go up. You know, there's some sort of knowing that doesn't happen in the same way that we would be able to articulate it verbally. So that's the kind of the, the challenge with intuition and why it's difficult. It's almost like a whisper versus, you know, it's going to slam at you and tell you this sort of stuff. So I guess the way that I have been able to uh, tap into intuition is through three things. And I kind of talk about this in the pot, in the, uh, the TED talk, which is presence, purpose, and play. And the presence is, is that we just got to be a lot more self-aware. And some of us might say, I need to meditate every morning to kind of get myself grounded. I think that it's really important to start the day making it your own versus just rolling out of bed and hitting your phone and what sort of email came through before you got up, right? Um, it's setting the tone for the day, but it's like really getting present. And, and that means for some going on runs or walking in forests or going swimming, uh, meditating could be a way of getting present. Uh, the purpose piece is really kind of like, what is it you're trying to intend for that day? What is your purpose for the day? What sort of question are you asking to get an answer to? If you have that sort of clarity, watch what sort of things start showing up. What sort of uh, senses do you have that might answer that question? And the play piece is just simply don't try to get it perfect and right. This is iterative. This is a, is is fluid. Uh there's a great book by a guy named, check this out, Nihai Chichniai. Really difficult name to pronounce, but it's called Flow. And I know you ask your guests to uh, come up with two or three books that you felt really influenced you. Flow is one of them because he truly talks about the scientific ways in which people get into that state of flow that artists and actors and designers and people feel like that's where their greatest creativity comes from. That's, that's intuition, a function of that. So my suggestion is for people is to start to realize that most of your really good decisions come from your intuition you know and studies will say that the higher up you go the more important intuition becomes because you become a better decision maker listener and and a creative problem solver um, the ceos that i deal with which is primarily I, I deal on that level in organizations all of them will talk about on some level their intuition um, you know, the, even the U.S. military at one point, I think, recently realized that as part of their decision making process, even intuition has a place in that kind of uh, analysis. So for me, I would say pay attention to those subtle voices that come to you and say, hmm, that feels right. Like I cannot tell you how many times a, a client will be working on a particular problem and we will go through an analysis that makes perfect sense. And then I might step back and say, all right, we did all that. But what does your gut say? How what do, do you, you really decide feel? using your intuition? For example, if you had to decide which CRM software to use, would you test <laughs> multiple at once and look how, they, uh, how it feels? Would you just go with first gut feeling? Would you delegate it to the team? I think that in some ways that the analysis that we uh, go through reconfirms the intuition we had up front. So like you go to a restaurant and you open up the menu, the first thing your eyes go on is probably the thing that you're going to buy, but then you go or you're going to order, but then you go and look at everything else just to come back to the place that you started. 
So I think in many cases, you know, intuition when it comes to something as analytical as buying a software program, you might have to do some research. You may have to test some things out, um, but intuitively might go, I just have a good feeling about this, even though I've just spent the last two weeks testing things. Um, when your intuition shows up, I can't say, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to show up at the very beginning, but at some point, I think you have to step back and go, all right, I've done my analysis. What's my gut say about this? And, and I always feel like, um, go with that, go with that gut feeling, not to divorce yourself from the analysis, use it as a tool, but bring in the other tool of intuition as well. So we are not always connected to our intuition when when are we more connected and if we are disconnected what can we do to connect yeah i think we are more connected to our intuition when we're relaxed quite mm -hmm. frankly you know um when we don't have the barragement of so many different things pulling on us mm -hmm. we got billions of bits of information coming at us every second um and that that's always going to be the case but if you have high stress you're working uh, in a sort of frenetic mode and you're all about just sort of getting stuff done, your intuition is, is there, it's just not being heard. So I think the time in which your intuition is going to be most um, prevalent is probably right when you wake up and maybe right before you go to bed. And it's probably during a vacation on Maui when you wake up and you're going for a little jog on the beach and you got sand between your toes and, and you come back for your breakfast and you realize, God, I had this great idea when I was out there with the dolphins. Like I live in Bend, Oregon, and there's a little trail that I go down to and run often. And oh man, Simon, nine times out of 10, my intuition starts to like kick in. And maybe it's a combination of the physicality and the bright breathing and, and the beauty of the trees and the babbling of the, of the river nearby. But somewhere around 15, 20 minutes into it, like I stop thinking and I start just sort of opening up and my, all of a sudden ideas start coming in. And I have had to write blogs or design training programs. And I thought, <clears throat> I gotta go for a run or I gotta go down to the river because when I come back nine times out of 10, something comes. So that's when it works. When it doesn't work, I think it's when you're just so frenetic, you're so stressed out. And that's when I think I have to go back to that three P's, presence, purpose and play, back off, slow down. You know, take a breath, go for a walk, uh, reverse the addiction of the the problem solving kind of frenetic pattern that we get into. Go away from that. And, and that's when it starts to show up again. It's funny for me, it's also running when in, in the morning, first thing that I do after yoga is running and then I, I sometimes have to stop running because I have an idea and I go, oh, what do I do with this idea? Yeah, yeah. I put it in my phone and I start some I know, voicemail right. or something. Exactly. Just to try to not forget it. <laughs> you got it. I, I understand that. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, going, well, I had a great idea, but I just blew that run. You know, I, I lost my time. Yes, totally. And that's funny. And um, what else inspires you? Where do you take your creativity from books, podcasts? Uh, I think books are certainly one of them. Uh, travel for me, I, my wife and I love to travel and I think it's the, the variety. Like, so our business is based in Phoenix and we sold a couple houses down there, but now we're looking at maybe getting something else smaller, but we live up in Bend, Oregon. They're very different places. 
you know, one's a small town, very nature-based, very soothing, very female energy, if you will. Phoenix is much more uh, faster paced, more male energy, and I love both. So I think for me, I'm not saying this is a recipe for anybody else, but I gained my inspiration through, through travel, uh, actually through art. Um, my family on my wife's side are fine, nationally known artists, and so our house is adorned with beautiful pieces of art. And we're very fortunate for that. Um, we've got a little house that looks like a chateau uh, that is called Chateau Le Mieux. And uh, the builder um, actually created the houses to look like certain chateau in France. Now, it's not the size of a chateau. It's, it's a 3,000 square foot house, but it has these really neat features that you wouldn't find. So we're always attracted to art and, and good food and uh, good friends and, and, and things through conversation and experience inspiration just comes. And I think that there's a great quote I heard once, Simon, that sort of speaks to this, that um, the, um, yeah, I guess it was had to do with materialism is a disease of the mind starved for new ideas. And so I think that was a profound sentence that I remember reading many years ago, that what we really want is that inspiration. In void of that, we fill it with, you know, binging out on Netflix, getting on our cell phones and watching another 15 minutes of TikTok, or going to the store and buying a bunch of stuff that we obviously physiologically get a certain sort of short-term fix around. But in the end, we want to be inspired. We want to grow. We want to think new things. We want to be challenged. And so I just love that, that sentence because it reminds me you know, how important ideas and inspiration and ultimately intuition is for what it is to be human and what it is that drives us to move forward. This is beautiful. And uh, what are you excited about looking forward? Oh, my gosh, in, in life or in our business or, you know, just you anything it. in particular. <laughs> um, I think that for this year, you know, there's for me in our business, um, you know, there's talk of, uh, of the recession. It's interesting how long we've been talking about the, the impending recession. It's like, well, do we have one or not? You know, it's almost <laughs> and, over. And I, yeah, and not, yeah it's right. It, maybe while we were talking about the potential of recession, we've already worked it out. So I think, who knows? Was it going to be a soft landing, a hard landing? There's all sorts of stuff going on with that. I think that what I'm excited about is working with organizations and, and leaders who are bold in wanting to really make a, found, a, a profound difference. Um, I, am, uh, I have worked, again, 30 years in this business and have had to work with clients in the very beginning that I just needed to work with in order to um, you know, make ends meet at that time. And, and maybe it wasn't the most inspiring kind of work, but it was work, right? But I'm really um, at that point now just so interested in working with those teams who have that vision to be able to create something that's really going to be long lasting for their employees, for their for their communities and 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 can work through the fear, the resistance, the complexity, uh, the the speed of change, the disruption of markets and are still willing to go. We are still going to move forward. We're going to do so in a bold way. We're not going to do it in a way that is avoiding what's happening. In fact, we're going to use all this, but we're going to still move forward. I'm really passionate about that. I, I, am, I think that one of the biggest social issues we have right now is fear. 
and how we're using it to hold ourselves back and how we're using it to become devices with each other. And, and to me, I think it, you know, I understand it. It's a human characteristic. It is part of how our brains are wired to be fearful. And I do believe that the evolution of our companies and our teams and our leaders and ourselves is to be able to accept that fear and move on and to create a vision for something bigger. We were over in Europe uh, for a couple of weeks, three weeks. And um, here in this country, you hear companies talk about their their mission statements, their vision statements lasting three years, five years, or even companies. You know, if you can get past the five or 10 year mark, you're sort of like, you know, you you were one of the few, you know, and, and the fact that we made it to 30 is like, wow, that's amazing. They have organizations and institutions that are four or 500 years old. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, and we just don't have that mindset. And so I'm fascinated about the idea of creating visions with organizations that last well beyond the age of the leaders, like next hundred years. Because when you start thinking that way, you're thinking transformationally. You're not thinking transactionally. You are thinking in a way that really the further out you go, the bigger your plans and your ideas have to be. And when you start thinking about a hundred year vision versus a 10 year vision, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. And would it not be cool to sign up with a company that had a hundred year vision or be a part of a, you know, a consumer that is, that is connecting to an organization that has a hundred year vision versus a five year. Now you're playing in a big space and now we're making some major change happening. And now we're really shooting for that past the, the left field fence. You know, that stuff I find fascinating and passionate. And that's the kind of stuff that I am looking more for and am doing in this year. So that's what that's what gets me excited. 100 years. And is there anything I forgot to ask you? <laughs> I don't know, man, this is so many. No, there isn't really. I think this has been a great conversation. Um, I will say one last thing that because you have a wonderful series of questions to have people think about before they get on your your podcast. And I think one of the questions was, has there been anything that has changed your mind of late? And I was thinking about that this morning over my little cup of coffee here. And I realized that what came to my mind, Simon, wasn't so much something that changed my mind, but reminded my mind of something that I forgot. And, and that is because I am. I am a hard drive endure. Um, I just had my disc assessment done again and I'm high D, high I, you know, so I am like, I'm moving fast. I'm, I'm you know, my team will tell me this guy has a, a lot of energy and he's always doing something. But, and I think that the misnomer is for me and for all of us is that what's running the show is what we consciously think is running the show. It's that five or 10% of our brain. But what's really running the show is our subconscious. It's those those belief systems that we probably have had since we were seven or six or eight years old. And that what's important is to slow down enough and to be self-aware enough to know what's driving your behavior, what's driving your decisions. And so what has re what I've been reminded of is to be able to listen and to be more self-aware of what inspires a decision, what inspires um, a, a behavior and, and question it and then have to re, um, redirect it in, a, in a, maybe a more positive way. So what's been um, on my mind of late is just how much the subconscious mind is, is really driving this boat versus what I think is, which is my willpower. <laughs> 
Thank you, Dean, for being here, sharing your wisdom, your experience with us. Dean Newland, everybody. His podcast is The Business of Intuition. His website is mfileadership.com. Where's the best place to find you, Dean? Definitely the website. We've got a lot of information uh, on that website. We've got a bunch of uh, blogs and, and ebooks, and of course, the podcast can be seen there. I'm on LinkedIn. You can always find me there, both me and my company. And of course, um, you know, uh, those are the best places to connect to us. But uh, we're always open and willing to talk to anybody who would love to get into this conversation. Thank you so much. See you soon. Thank you. So Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprints blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprints method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategiesprints.com.